as disciples of Jesus, we are called to to come together in a united front as a church, labor with one another in order to advance the kingdom of God. Every church, this is what every church is supposed to do for our part. We are to work with one another to labor to advance the kingdom of God in Gaiman, Goodwill, Hooker, Texoma, to the ends of the earth. Based upon the passage we're looking at today, I believe we are supposed to do this in hope. Open your Bible to Mark 4. We're going to look at verses 30 through 32. should be on page 764 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Mark 4 and 30. And he was saying, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is the smallest of all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the plants and forms large branches with the result that the birds of the sky can nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them. As far as they were able to understand it, he did not speak to them about a parable, But he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. The title of the message today is The Growth of the Kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and glorious, wonderful and worthy. We bow before you. We surrender our lives to you. Father, we have these few moments. We are here uh, to hear from your word, to hear what your spirit would take from your word and use to apply to our lives. We surrender this time to you. Father, we ask you to help us lay aside the cares of life we may have brought in. Help us to lay aside any plans we have this afternoon. And and Lord, just be very present in this moment so that we could make the most of our time together. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would come, that he would give us ears to hear, uh, that he would open our hearts. And Father, just take the word and plant it way down deep in our heart that it would bring forth good fruit in our lives. Let the word today strengthen us. The word today encourage us. And Father, today, let the word challenge us. Let us commit ourselves to being fully devoted disciples of Jesus who will do whatever it takes to accomplish his will in the world. Fill me with your spirit, give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Let me be able to say what you want said and do what you want done. Nothing more, nothing less. Have your way in all of our hearts. Draw us closer to you. Father, we need you more than anything. Uh, Let us experience your presence today. Let us know you're here, you're at work in our lives. We ask all things in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is still speaking in parables. And again, as it says in verse 33 and 34, that's the only way he taught. But when he was alone with the disciples, he would explain it to them. And this parable we're looking at today, he is telling them about what the kingdom of God is like. How shall we picture it? What parable would represent it? Now, their idea of the kingdom of God was more in line with that of a political kingdom centered in Jerusalem. They imagined a kingdom where Jesus, as the Christ of the Messiah, would rule as king. A kingdom where they would have honored positions. A powerful kingdom, throwing off Roman oppressors and setting up Jerusalem as the center, kind of the center kingdom in all of the world. A kingdom greater in glory than Solomon's kingdom. And while this was the idea they had of the kingdom of God, the reality of the kingdom was far different, it seems. The religious leaders had not only rejected Jesus' teaching, but were actively opposing Him. Not only were the religious religious teachers rejecting and opposing Jesus, there weren't really just a whole lot of regular Jews embracing the ministry of Jesus either. 
On top of this, Jesus' teaching about the parable of the soils seemed to indicate this was expected. They would scatter gospel seeds uh, of the kingdom knowing some would take and, and some wouldn't. And by and large, it seemed that more were not taking than there were that, that was sinking in and bringing forth good fruit. So they're probably confused. They don't understand what's going on. They're looking around thinking Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, the kingdom is literally just the 13 of us at this point. I don't know what's going on. Jesus' teaching here is meant to be an encouragement to them. It is meant to give them hope. And if we understand it, it will give us encouragement and hope as well. Jesus compares the growth of the kingdom to a mustard seed. Now, among the common seeds sown in Jewish gardens, the mustard seed was proverbial for its smallness. So much so that when a rabbi wanted to show something was small and insignificant, it would compare it to a mustard seed. So not just small, but insignificant, unimportant, something not to take notice of. They would compare it to a mustard seed. Now, despite the smallness of the seed, the growth of a plant was kind of incredible. In one season of growth, it could go from a tiny seed to often topping out about 12 feet tall as a plant. The mustard seed started small but grew tall. What's true of the mustard seed is true for the kingdom of God as well. The kingdom may start small, but it grows tall. Right? The kingdom may start insignificant with merely 13 people, but it can grow until it expands the globe and impacts every nation under the sun in one way or another. For us to understand the growth of the kingdom, for us to expect the kingdom to grow in Gaiman, Goodwill, Hooker, Texoma, and to the ends of the earth, and for us to experience the growth, we, we must have the right focus. What we focus on often determines on what we experience. So, based upon this parable and what Jesus taught, I think there are three things we should focus on. Focus on what can be and not what is. When Jesus used the mustard seed as an illustration of the kingdom of God, he was speaking about potential. Inside a tiny mustard seed, an insignificant mustard seed, was great potential for growth. The potential for growth residing in a mustard seed resides in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God started small, but it grew exponentially in a short period of time. It started with just one man going around preaching about the kingdom of God. He called on people to repent and believe, but most didn't. He did take on 12 disciples he called to be apostles, one of which betrayed him to the religious leaders. He was murdered by the Romans, and despite the fact he told his followers he would die, and then he would rise from the dead, they were caught off guard by his resurrection. From the time of his resurrection to the time he ascended into heaven, he gained about 120 total followers. After his ascension, these 120 followers in a small, really kind of insignificant nation on the earth, city on the earth, gathered together to pray. Now, that's not an enormous start. You wouldn't expect from the kingdom, the kingdom of God would grow tall from that. You wouldn't expect anything significant to happen after that. But his ascension wasn't the end of it. His disciples gathered together to pray. They waited on what he called the promise of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell upon the people. People gathered to see what was going on. Peter jumped up, took that as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And about 3,000 people believed, repented, believed, and were added to the church in that moment. Now, that's a big growth spurt, but it didn't stop there. Not long after that, 
Peter was going to the temple to pray, heal the man. Crowd gathered to see what had happened as this man was jumping and leaping and praising the Lord. The crowd gathered. Peter then used that as an opportunity to preach about Jesus and about 5,000 more were saved and joined the church. And throughout the book of Acts, we see the number of disciples continue to multiply. And it multiplied in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until it reached over the entire earth. What started as a tiny group of people grew into a great number in just a short period of time. But the church, the growth of the church, the growth of the kingdom didn't end in Acts 28. The kingdom never stopped growing from that time until this time. I'm glad for that. Because eventually, over time, the kingdom spread from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria till it hit a small town of Fort Gibson, Oklahoma. And then one day it spread into my life. The kingdom of God is not a static kingdom. It is a growing kingdom. It is an expanding kingdom. It is always growing, always expanding. Regardless of how small the kingdom of God is in a particular place, there is always tremendous potential for growth because it is God's kingdom and not man's. So as we think about the kingdom of God growing in Gaiman, we have a choice about what we're going to focus on. We can focus on what is, or we can focus on what could be. And the focus we have matters, because what is, isn't always encouraging. What is, in Gaiman, is most churches are declining or plateaued. What is, in Gaiman, is the vast majority of our community sees no need for Jesus or for His church. What is, in Gaiman, is more people are choosing to stay in darkness because they love darkness rather than light. Realistically, what is, is depressing. What is, is discouraging. What is, can make us feel defeated. What is, can make us want to give up. But what if we shifted our focus and began to focus on what could be? To focus on what could be requires faith. It requires us to look beyond what is and see what can happen. Now, it's important to understand when we talk about faith, to understand what faith is and what faith isn't. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is not, as Mark Twain said, believing what you know ain't so. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not a blank check. I cannot positively confess anything I want into existence. Faith is incredibly powerful. Faith does make the impossible possible. Faith does very often determine what Jesus will or won't do in us, through us, or for us. But faith is always built upon God's Word. Just because I believe something, it doesn't make it true. My faith in something does not give it value because I believe it. Just because I'm believing God for something doesn't mean it's going to happen. God's Word is always the foundation of our faith. So whatever we're believing God for, whatever we're going to positively confess to come to pass, it always has to be rooted in God's Word. It has to be rooted in the fact this is what God has said, this is what God said He would do in a given situation. Now Jesus has said the kingdom like a mustard seed, may start small, but it can grow tall. Jesus has said that the church is, is built upon Him and the gates of hell cannot overcome it. Now, we haven't necessarily seen this happen in our community. 
Gosh, we may not have even seen this happen anywhere in our lifetime. But Jesus said it can happen. And so what we have to do is choose what we're going to focus on. We can focus on what has been and what is. And just give up. Just sit down in our pews, sit down at home, and wait to die. Or we can focus on what Jesus said can be. And say what happened in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and Ephesus can happen here. It can happen in Gaiman, and Goodwell, Texoma, Hooker, and to the ends of the earth. We can say Jesus took a small group of people in the early parts of the church before there was really even a church, just a small group of devoted people. And he he worked in them and through them and for them to really make the world a better place. And we can say what Jesus did through that small group of disciples, he can do through this small group of disciples. And again, this isn't, we're not positively confessing anything. We're not saying, well, we're believing God for something because we think it sounds cool. We're saying, this is what Jesus said happens. We're saying, this is what Jesus has done. And we're saying, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Jesus who did it in Acts 1, and Acts 2, and Acts 3, and Acts 4 can do it in Guymon, Oklahoma in 2022. We're saying, we are going to focus on what Jesus can do, not on what we can't do. We're going to focus on what Jesus said can be, not on what we've seen has been. If we focus on what has been or what is, we will be discouraged. We will not have much energy. We will not have much faith. We will not have much hope. But if we focus on what can be, it will motivate us. It will strengthen our faith. It will energize us. And it will give us the hope we need to make a difference in our community. If we want to see the kingdom that starts small grow tall, we need to focus on what can be, not what is. Second, focus on the blessings and not the burdens. Now, Jesus says the the tiny mustard seed grows into a large plant which spreads out its branches And the birds of the air can come and nest under its shade. The birds find rest. They find safety. They find shade. They find a place of refuge and a place to make a home. One of my commentaries said, The mustard seed produced a plant with many uses among humans as well. The leaves were gathered and used as food. The seeds were crushed and used as a condiment. The seeds were also used as a medicine. They were crushed and mixed with other things to make antidotes for snakes, scorpion, and spider bites. Just as the the seed in this parable brought blessing to the birds who flocked to it and to the humans who used it, the kingdom of God brings blessings everywhere it goes. One commentator said, Everywhere the kingdom of God has spread, it has brought about the destruction of demonism, cannibalism, polygamy, child sacrifice, and 10,000 other evils. The spread of the gospel has built orphanages for the fatherless and homes for the homeless. The gospel has reached out to comfort the bereaved, to care for the infirm, to cure the sick. The gospel has changed individuals, communities, and nations. When the kingdom of God moves with divine power, the kingdom of Satan must fall before its appearance. 
It may have had humble beginnings, but God has used it to accomplish great and wonderful things. When the kingdom of God grows in an area, it always brings great blessings with it. And we should expect what God has done in the past as the kingdom grew, he will do in the present as his kingdom continues to grow. Some of the blessings the gospel brings, things like freedom from condemnation. We're told, John 3, that that those who don't believe in Jesus are condemned. They're judged already because they have not believed in Jesus. That's not something we do. We don't condemn people. We don't make them condemned. They already are by their lack of faith in Jesus. But when the kingdom advances, people hear the gospel. They repent of their sins. They believe the gospel. Thus they believe in Jesus. And they're freed from condemnation. Our community right now is filled. Filled with people who at this moment right now are under the condemnation of the Lord. They will face the sure and severe judgment of God in the future. And as the kingdom advances, they will be set free from that condemnation. Another thing we see the gospel does, the kingdom does, is advances as captives are set free. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Again, our community is filled with captives. People all over, Guyman, Goodwill, Hooker, and Texoma, and in the ends of the earth are captives to sin and Satan. They're enslaved by addictions. They're enslaved by sin. They're enslaved by false doctrines and false beliefs. And they have no way they can get out of it on their own. But as the the gospel, as the kingdom of God advances, Jesus is proclaimed and they repent of their sins and they believe in Jesus and the Son sets them free and they are free indeed. Now, only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can set the captives free. Only Jesus can free people from condemnation. There's nothing other than the kingdom of God and the gospel of Christ that has this kind of influence On the world. As the kingdom advances, people are given new life. Notice that that all people apart from Jesus are dead in their sins. They they walk according to the course of this world. Right? So they they walk a, a natural way of life that's guided by the prince of the power of the air, the evil spirit that's at work among all the sons of disobedience. They are by nature children of wrath. This, again, our community is filled with people who are dead in their sin. They're walking a natural course of life that is laid out by the enemy of their souls. They are by nature the children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, with a great love in which he loves them, can give life where death once reigned. He can change the course of their life. As the kingdom advances, the gospel is preached. People hear about Jesus. They repent of their sins. They believe in Jesus. They are raised to new life in Christ, given a new course of life, and a new life begins. And only the kingdom of God can do this. Only Jesus can do this. There's no other organization. There's nothing else in the whole world that can take the spiritually dead and give them new life. When the kingdom of God advances, this new life happens. And then... There's rest for the weary. We all know people who are weary and burdened. People who are beat down by the cares of life. People who are beat down by the slavery to sin and Satan. People whose circumstances that are bad have been inflicted upon them and they're beat down. People who've made poor decisions and they're beat down. People who are just hurting 
and miserable. And to those people, the risen Christ calls them to come to him. He'll take their burdens, he'll give them his yoke, and they'll find rest for their souls. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can give the kind of rest that helps the weary and the burdened. And he does it as the kingdom advances. As the kingdom advances, Jesus has preached. People have an encounter with God. They meet Jesus. Again, as we've talked about in the, in the prayer focus, we know Jesus. Can you imagine people who don't know Jesus coming to meet the Christ and hearing him say, come to me. I'll take your burdens. I'll give you my yoke. I will give you rest for your souls. People all over, all around us are suffering. And they need the rest for their souls that only Jesus can give. And as the kingdom advances, these are some of the blessings that it brings with it. Now, these aren't all the blessings the kingdom brings as it advances. They are just a few. They come into individual lives. They come into families. They come into entire communities as the kingdom grows and spreads. But for the kingdom to grow and spread, we do have to focus on the blessings rather than the burdens. What burdens, you may say, this all sounds wonderful. Well, again, think about the church in the book of Acts. The kingdom spread tremendously from Acts 1 to Acts 28. But along the way, the people were persecuted. They were fired. They lost their families. They lost their homes. They were beaten. They were wrongfully imprisoned. And they suffered quite a lot. Significant amounts of hardship took place to get the kingdom of God from Jerusalem to Guymon, Oklahoma. Now, we aren't likely to face the same kind of hardships they faced. But there are hardships to be born, to be sure. I mentioned in Sunday school class this morning. We don't live in a world where the church is favorably seen by the world around us any longer. There was a time when American Christianity was the favored religion of America. And it was seen and churches and Christians were seen favorably by the culture at large, even those who didn't profess Christianity themselves. That's changed. And unless. There's a great revival in the church that expands the kingdom till it transforms communities. Those days aren't coming back. The the Christian church in America is not going to be favored by the culture any longer. The culture is not even largely neutral to the church anymore. Now they are neutral and unfavorable. Our, Our Sunday school lesson was in Acts 4 this morning. And the religious leaders, as they began to turn on the early church, first they they told them to shut up with the message. And then they threatened them. They didn't beat them. They didn't hurt them. They just spoke ill to them. That's where we are. We are at a place right now where we as a church, the church is being told, shut up. Shut up about Jesus being the only way. Shut up about absolute morality. Shut up about abortion. Shut up about homosexuality. Shut up about all of these things. And if you don't, We're coming for you. 
And that's not going back. I mean, that's that is not shifting. The culture is not going to wake up next week and say we were wrong. We just love the church after all. Those days are not coming back. So to see the kingdom of God advance in Guyman and Goodwill, Hooker, Texoma to the ends of the earth, there are burdens to be borne. There are sacrifices to be made. There are comfort zones we must move out of. There is time to be spent. There is money that must be given. There are relationships that will be lost. There are hard, uncomfortable conversations that must be had. There are people who will be angry with us and will not like us any longer. There are threats to be hurled our way. There are people going to tell us to shut up and tell nothing any longer. There are just all kinds of actions to take and sacrifices to make. If we want to see the kingdom of God advance in Gaiman, Goodwill, Hooker, Texoma to the ends of the earth. If we don't want to see it advance, we don't have to do anything and we'll largely escape most of those things. If we focus on the burdens to be born, it will almost certainly keep us from doing anything to advance the kingdom of God. But if we focus on the blessings, yes, sacrifices will need to be made. But imagine what God will do in us, through us, and for us as we make them. Yes, there is possibly suffering to be endured. But imagine what God will do in us, through us, and for us as we endure it and suffer well. Yes, there are difficulties to be dealt with. But imagine what God will do in us and through us and for us as we endure those difficulties well. But this requires us to have hope. We must have an expectation that God can and will do these things and many more. How can we be sure God will do these things now? It's because He's done them in the past. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who has given rest for the weary, new life to the dead, set the captives free, and freed others from condemnation. He is just the same and He can do all those things and more all throughout our community. Listen to what one author says about this. Can people truly be set free from both the lifestyle and effects of sin in their life? Unquestionably, yes. If one person can be set free, then certainly a whole family can find freedom. And if a whole family can live in the liberty that Jesus purchased for them, then the extended family can enjoy this gift as well. What about the family's neighborhood? We've seen it happen. One household after another tastes of the goodness of God until an entire neighborhood becomes engulfed in the purposes of God. Such transformation is the heart of God. And if it can happen in one neighborhood, then it can spread until a whole city is under the influence of the wonderful grace of God. Divine reasoning says if it can happen in one city, it can happen to a second and a third and beyond. Then it's possible for this domino effect to take place until a whole nation comes under the influence of the reign of the perfect father. It's needed. It's possible. And it's at hand. So have you been set free from condemnation? Have you received new life from Jesus? 
Have you found the freedom from the captivity that Jesus brings? Have you found rest for your soul? Have you experienced other blessings from the hand of God being part of the kingdom of God? If so, then expect what God did in you, through you, and for you. He can do in you, through you, and for you for the sake of others. The kingdom of God may start small, but it can grow tall. We just need to focus on the blessings of what God can do instead of on the burdens of what we might have to endure along the way. And then finally, focus on what we need to do, not what others aren't doing. So focus on what can be, not what is. Focus on blessings and not burdens. Focus on what we need to do, not what others aren't doing. Before the mustard seed can do anything, someone has to sow it into the ground. The kingdom of God is the same way. Before it will grow, there must be people who are willing to be kingdom workers and sow and scatter gospel seed all around. How can Christianity start with 120 disciples and yet spread around the entire world? It's because there were workers seeking to spread the kingdom of God. In Acts 2, 7 through 11, God's word records the people present when Peter started to preach were from all over the world. As they were saved, they were baptized, they went back to their native countries and began to tell other people what they knew about the Savior, Jesus Christ. And everywhere they went, they told people about the Jesus who had saved them. Ordinary people determined to tell others about the extraordinary Jesus caused the kingdom to spread from Jerusalem to Gaiman. Think about this. I did the math twice, so I think I'm right. If 20 people from our church decided they would do whatever it took to reach and disciple one person a year. And if those we reached and those we discipled at the end of the year said, next year I will reach and I will disciple one person. At the end of the first year, the 20 would be 40. If this kept up for five years, those 20 would be 640. In 10 years... There would be 20,480 disciples of Jesus. That number is larger than the population of Gaiman. And all it would take is for each person to reach and disciple one person for a year. And then reach and disciple someone the next year. Can you imagine the impact 20,400 spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered disciples of Jesus would make on Guyman, Goodwell, Hooker, Texoma, and on the ends of the earth. What if every disciple of Jesus made it a priority in their lives to reach and disciple just one person for Jesus every year? What kind of difference would that make in our homes, in our communities, and in the world at large. But to do this, we have to focus on what we as individuals need to do and not on what others aren't doing. I need to focus on what I need to do 
And you need to focus on what you need to do. Far too often, we soothe our consciences about what we're not doing by pointing out, at least in our minds, to our way of thinking, what other people ought to be doing or how we're doing more than they are. If I can focus on all the things you're not doing to advance the kingdom, then I don't have to worry about what I ought to be doing to advance the kingdom. We must shift the focus from others to the person we see in the mirror. I can't control what you do to advance the kingdom or what you don't do to advance the kingdom. There's only one person in the entire world I can ensure does what Jesus wants them to do. That's me. And there's only one person in the entire world you can make sure does what they need to do, what Jesus wants them to do to advance His kingdom in the world, and that's you. And if the majority of our focus, the majority of our thoughts is on how much better everything would be if other people were doing something, our focus is out of balance. We must stand and look in the mirror and say, you must do what you need to do. As Jesus told Peter when he gave the appearance that Peter would die badly and John would live long. Peter said, what about him? And Jesus said, you follow me. None of us have the responsibility to make the others follow Jesus like they should. Jesus' word to us is, you follow me. Now, of course, the reason this matters is those we don't reach go to hell when they die. I mean, we know that. But that's the reality. All of those people that we talked about who are under condemnation, all of those people who are captive to sin, all of those people who are spiritually dead and don't have the life Jesus gives, when they die or when Jesus comes back, they will go to hell for all of eternity. And the smoke of their torments will rise for all of eternity. That, that, that's just the harsh fact. They're not going to go to heaven, but miss rewards. They're not going to live in the suburbs of heaven. They're not going to live in the slums of heaven. They're going to go to hell and face eternal hell forever. This is why there's an urgency to what we do. There's an urgency to reach one person. And make one disciple. And encourage them to reach one person. And make one disciple. Because there is a, a world of people. Needing to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality. There are always more people needing to be reached. Than there are workers willing to do the labor to reach them. Let me show you this from the gospels. Turn to Matthew 9. Page 740. Matthew 9.35. Here's Jesus. He's advancing the kingdom of God. He's going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every sickness. He's casting demons out. He's teaching. He's repent, calling them to repent. He's doing what he can. He is 
advancing the kingdom. And as he advances the kingdom, these people experience the blessings of the kingdom. They learn what they did not know. They're healed. They're delivered. They're saved. They're freed from condemnation. But as Jesus is doing this, verse 36, he sees the crowds and he feels compassion on them. And I don't have a lot of time on this, but one thing I always want to point out with this. Jesus is God who has all knowledge. And as he looks at the crowds, he knows everything about their lives. He knows all of their sins. He knows all of their actions. He knows all of their defiance against him. He knows everything there is to know about them. And he doesn't look at them with judgment. He looks at them with compassion, with an ache in his heart over the fact they are separated from him. This is our model. Right? When we look at the crowds, we may have an idea about what they've done. We may have an idea about the sins of their life and the actions they take. But the reality is none of us have a perfect knowledge of what they're doing or how they're living or what's going on. So our, if we look at the crowds and we come up with judgment, we are not... We are not righteous. It is not a righteous judgment. And we are very unlike Jesus at that moment. Jesus saw the crowds, knew everything about them, and he saw with compassion. This is our example. He was compassionate for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Right? They had all manner of problems happening in their life. They did not know him. And his heart ached for them. So look at what he says in verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Basically, at this point, it's him. His disciples are not even yet been sent out on their own to do anything. They can't advance the kingdom. It's him. Then it's going to be the twelve. But there's multitudes everywhere he goes. There are more people who need the kingdom to come to them than there are people who will go and take the kingdom to them. What was true in Matthew 9 is true in Guyman and Goodwill and Hooker and Texoma, and especially to the ends of the world. We often think because we have so many churches in our community that everybody's saved. That, that is simply not the case. The vast majority of our community is not saved. The vast majority of our community will not darken a church door unless someone in their family dies or gets married. They have no need for Jesus or his church at all. And there are few reaching out to them. A friend of mine pastors in another city, well, he pastors in Boys City. And he was talking to a lady from another church or his wife was talking to a lady from another church. And their church had got together to pray for the lost. And they were saying, that's great. I'm glad you're praying for the lost to be saved here in Boys City. And the lady from the other church responded and said, oh, we're not praying for the lost in Boy City. Everybody in Boy City is saved. We're praying for the lost in other nations. You'd be amazed at how many people probably in our community would say, oh, no, everybody, pretty much everybody in Gaiman, I think, is saved. Good people. We're pretty much a red county. We vote red. So we're, I'm sure everybody's saved here. The reality is the vast majority, they don't know Jesus. They're lost. They have no life. They're enslaved. And there's very few people working to reach them. So the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So pray. Pray for people to, to rise up and go out. Pray for 
people to, to go out to them. But notice what he does next. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 is like a continuation. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out, cast them out, heal every disease and sickness, which is what he was doing. Now look down at verse 5. Then Jesus sent out then these twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, Do not go on the road of the Gentiles, not near the city of Samaritans, but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leprosy, cast out demons. Freely you have given, freely, or freely you have received, freely given. So he's doing it and modeling it for them. Shows them the urgent need around them. Tells them to pray for more laborers to go out. And then he says, You guys go out. And do the same thing I was doing. So, it's not just pray for laborers. It's pray for laborers and then become a laborer. Pray and go are complementary things. It's not one or the other. It's not we, we're goers, but we don't pray. It's not we're prayers, but we don't go. The biblical pattern as disciples of Jesus is we pray and then we go. Kingdom Starts small, can grow tall, but it requires laborers. It requires people who will see what they need to do, who will not focus on what others aren't doing, and will do their dead level best to reach people and make disciples to advance the kingdom. The kingdom of God started small but has grown tall. There's virtually no country on the earth where there's not some disciples of Jesus take home truth for us is God is so great that he can take something small and insignificant and he can do something big with it. But what God does in advancing the kingdom, he does through people. Specifically, he does through disciples of Jesus. What God can accomplish through those disciples of Jesus is largely dependent upon their focus. Those who focus on what can be accomplish more than those who focus on what is. Those who focus on the blessings of the kingdom advancing accomplish more than those who focus on the burdens to be borne advancing the kingdom. Those who focus on what they individually need to do accomplish more than those who sit around and focus on what other people ought to be doing. God intends for the kingdom to grow in Guyman, Goodwill, Hooker, Texhoma, to the ends of the earth. God intends for the kingdom to grow through our church. God has not raised up our church and kept it going all of these years through all of the things that it's gone through for us to not be a part of advancing his kingdom in the world around us. God intends to work in, through, and for each and every one of us to advance his kingdom in the world around us. That is not in question. The question is, are you and I willing to focus on what we need to focus on? And are we willing to do what we need to do to make this happen. The kingdom will not grow because we wish it would grow. The kingdom will not grow because we hope it will grow. The kingdom will not grow even because we pray it will grow. The kingdom will grow as we focus, we pray, and we go. What the kingdom does in Gaiman in Goodwill, in Hooker, in Texhoma, and to the ends of the earth, through our church, is dependent upon those of us who call this church their home.
this church advances the kingdom and the world around us, it will be because we as individual people and as a local church body determine, I will focus on what can be. I will focus on the blessings. I will focus on what I need to do. A church with that kind of focus will make an impact for the kingdom of God and make the world a better place. Let's stand. Look at your life today. Does your life testify you are a disciple of Jesus? If not, today would be a good day to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, determined to serve Him and do whatever it is He would have you to do. You must repent. You must recognize that God is right about your sin and you are wrong. You must turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. You must do this believing what Jesus has done on the cross. It's the only hope for your salvation there is. Being good won't save you. Being moral won't save you. Coming to church won't save you. Being baptized won't save you. Only faith in Jesus saves. You must determine to follow Jesus. Committed to do what He would want you to do. If you have never personally repented of your sins, believed in Jesus, committed to following Jesus, this is where everything must start. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, take this time to fully surrender your life to Him. Offer yourself to Him for Him to work in you, through you, and for you to advance His kingdom. Guyman Goodwill, Texoma Hooker, to the ends of the earth. I'll pray. The altars will be open if you want to come. Our Father, we love you today. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you. Father, your kingdom grows. Thank you, Lord, that There was a small, devoted band of disciples in an insignificant town in the Middle East. And you empowered them and you enabled them to take the message of Jesus and advance the kingdom of God all over the world to Guyman, to Fort Gibson. And I thank you for that. Father, what you did then, you can do now. What you did through those devoted disciples of Jesus, you can do through us as devoted disciples of Jesus. Let us see what you can do in us, through us, and for us. Let us not be a people who are cynical. Let us not be a people who focus on all the reasons things can't happen or things won't work or why things will never change. Let us believe in the bigness and the greatness and the power of our God. Let us be devoted to go and do whatever you'd have us to do. Let us make a difference in the world around us. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.